0: Amen. All right, well, we're there in Ephesians chapter number five, and we are working our way through the book of Ephesians. If you remember last week, we started back up in the book of Ephesians. And last week, we made it through the first 17 verses in the book of Ephesians. And today, we're going to continue, uh, just pick right up at verse number 18. Now, Ephesians 5 has a lot of great truths in it. Uh, so we're going to spend several weeks here, at least three weeks, uh, tonight, and then next week, uh, we'll deal with the uh, passage in regards to marriage. But I want you to notice there in verse number 18, the Bible says this, And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And that's really what I want to deal with tonight. I want to deal with this idea of being filled with the Spirit. And I want you to notice that in this passage, the Apostle Paul is giving a command. He is commanding us To be filled with the Spirit. The way that phrase is worded, where it says, be filled, is actually an imperative statement. It is a command. It is like telling someone to be there at five, or to be careful. You are telling someone to do something. And here the Apostle Paul is telling us to be filled with the Spirit. He's commanding us as Christians to be filled with the Spirit. And what's interesting is that over the next several verses, he kind of gives us some characteristics of what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit. And uh, he he explains this, and I want to show it to you uh, tonight. I want to give you uh, five thoughts, and I would encourage you on the back of your uh, song sheet there, you have a place to write down some notes if you're able to. If you don't have a baby sitting on your lap, I'd encourage you to write these statements down. I want to give you five thoughts in regards to how to be filled With the Spirit of God. Because we're commanded to be filled with the Spirit of God. You're supposed to be filled with the Spirit of God. I'm supposed to be filled with the Spirit of God. But how do we do that? What does that look like? Now, you're there in Ephesians 5, and I want you to notice verse 18. And I want you to notice the phrase before he says, but be filled with the Spirit of God. Ephesians 5 and verse 18, he says this, And be not drunk with wine, Wherein is excess? Now it almost seems like when you read this passage, that the Apostle Paul is kind of just ranting, right? He tells you in one breath to not be drunk with wine, uh, and of course, being drunk is being under the influence of uh, something else. It's when alcohol takes control, or drugs take control. He says, "Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess." And then he says, "But be filled with the spirit." Now here's what's interesting. In the Bible, and I'd like you to keep your place there in Ephesians 5, that's obviously our text for tonight, but go to the book of Acts, if you would, Acts chapter number 2, in the New Testament, beginning of the New Testament, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Acts chapter number 2, and in the Bible, there is a correlation between being filled with the Spirit and drunkenness. So when the Apostle Paul says, be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, he's not just randomly bringing these thoughts together, there's actually a correlation between these things. Now, in Acts chapter 2, we have the famous Day of Pentecost passage, right? Uh, And we have the the Day uh, of Pentecost here. We won't read all of the verses, but look down at verse number 4, and notice what the Bible says happened on the Day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2 and verse 4, the Bible says this, And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. So notice, that's what Paul said in Ephesians 5.18, right? And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Here in Acts 2, we are told that they were all filled with the Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, notice what the Bible says in verse number 13. Skip down to verse 13, same chapter, same passage. Acts 2.13, the Bible says this, others mocking. Right? So we had the 120 in the upper room, they're filled with the Spirit, and then they go out and they go down and begin to preach the gospel with boldness. A miracle happens where they speak with other tongues, and I want you to notice what people said about them in verse 13. Others mocking said, these men are full of new wine. They said, these guys are drunk. These guys are are full of new wine. Notice verse 14. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my word. Notice verse 15. He says, For these are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. He's saying, look, it's 9 a.m. It's nine in the morning. These, these 120 people are not drunk right now. He says they are not drunk because they're saying, mocking, saying these men are full of new wine. He says these are not drunken, as you suppose. And then he goes on to explain that this is what the prophet Joel had prophesied would happen, that God would pour out His Spirit and that they would be filled with the Spirit of God. But it's interesting that in the Bible you find this correlation. Go to the book of Romans, if you would. If you're there in Acts. Just flip one book over to Romans, you see this correlation between drunkenness and being spirit-filled. He says, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the spirit. And then in Acts 2, the famous filled with the spirit passage, when they were filled with the Holy Ghost, they're being mocked at and they're being told, hey, these men are drunk with wine. So what is the correlation? Why are these thoughts brought together? And the reason for it is because it has to do with control. See, when you are drunk, when someone is drunk, they're under the influence, they're under the control, they are being influenced or they're being controlled by something else, uh, they're not in control, but they're being controlled by the substance that they've taken in. And here's what Paul says. Paul says, hey, be not drunk with wine. He says, you never want to allow yourself to uh, be in a place in life where you're allowing something else to take control of your body. You're allowing some substance. You're allowing some uh, drink to take control of you. He says, don't ever do that. He said, be not drunk with wine the this excess. But then he says this, but you do want to allow the Holy Ghost to take control. He said, you do want to be under the influence, under the control of the Holy Ghost. He says, but be filled with the Spirit of God. And when it comes to being filled, if we ask the question, well, how do I get filled with the Spirit? It comes down to the idea of control. And if you're taking notes, I encourage you to uh, jot this down. When we ask the question, how do you get filled? You can be Spirit-filled. You can be filled with the Spirit through the surrender of your body. Through the yielding of your body. In the same way that alcohol takes control of your body, takes control of your thoughts, takes control of the the things you do and the direction you take, the Bible says that we can allow the Holy Ghost to take control. And look, the only way that you can ever be filled with the Spirit of God is to surrender your body and yield your body. you there in Romans uh, chapter 6, look at verse 12. Romans chapter 6. And look at verse number 12. The Bible says this. Let not sin therefore reign. You see this word reign? The word reign, when we think of the word reign, we think of like a king, right? Reigning over his kingdom. He says, let not sin therefore reign. What does that mean? He says, don't allow it to rule. Don't allow it to control in your mortal bodies. He says, don't allow sin to rule or control your body that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield. You see the word yield there? Yield is when you submit to something. Yield is when you allow someone to go before you, someone to take the lead. He says, Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. He says, But, notice, He says, the contrast is this, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Verse 14, for sin shall not have dominion. What does the word dominion mean? It means rule or control. He says, look, sin should not have dominion over you for ye are not under the law but under grace. What then shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? God forbid. Notice verse 16. Know ye not that to whom ye yield. What does it mean to yield? It means you surrender. It means you, you give yourself over. He says, to whom ye yield yourselves, servants to obey. His servants ye are to whom ye obey. Whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness, and here's what I'm trying to tell you, and here's what we're going to learn tonight, is that people get this idea about being filled with the Spirit, and they try to make it mystical or magical, and they think it's some event that happens, and it's some experience you go through, and you know, though you people talk about being filled with the Spirit, and they're like, I was in a dark room, and I saw a light, and I started shaking, and I had a, this experience. Look, the Bible teaches that being Filled with the Spirit is simply yielding yourself and walking in the Spirit of God. You say, how do I get filled with the Spirit? I'd like to be filled with the Spirit. I'm commanded to be filled with the Spirit. How do I get filled with the Spirit? Well, step one, you surrender your body. You wake up every day and say... Not my will, but thine be done. I'm not going to do what I want to do. I'm not going to allow the sin or the flesh or the world or the devil to tell me what to do. I'm going to yield to the will of God. I'm going to allow God to take control. And this is why Paul says, look, you want to be filled with the spirit? He says, be not drunk with wine. And by the way, let me just say this. You'll never be filled with the spirit if you're drinking alcohol. You cannot be filled with the spirit. If you are drunk with wine, he says, be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess. He says, look, you can't be under the influence of something else if you want to be under the influence of the Holy Ghost. He says, but be filled with the Spirit of God. You know, we hear this term, I often, when we think of drunkenness, we hear this term of driving under the influence, right? Someone can be driving under the influence of alcohol or, or marijuana or, or drugs or whatever. you know, you and I ought to be living our lives under the influence of the Holy Ghost. We should surrender our bodies uh, to the Holy Ghost. So when we ask this question, how to be filled with the Spirit... How can I be filled with the Spirit of God? Well, step one, you've got to be filled with the Spirit by surrendering your body. You are filled with the Spirit by waking up tomorrow morning and saying, Lord, I submit to you. I yield to you. I will allow you to take control. I won't allow anything else, whether it's drugs or alcohol, whether it's anything else that the world has to offer, to take control. I will allow you to reign in my life. How to get filled with the Spirit? Number one, your spirit filled through The surrender of your body. But there's a second thing. And I want you to notice the Apostle Paul kind of outlines this for us. Go go back to Ephesians chapter number 5. Ephesians 5. In Ephesians 5 and verse 18, he said, Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. He said it has to do with control. And then in verse 19, he says this, Speaking to yourselves. Speaking to yourselves, and I want you to notice these words, in psalms. What's a psalm? A psalm is, of course, a scripture. We have an entire book in the Bible called the book of psalms. But what were psalms? They were music. They were the songs of the children of Israel. He says, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And then notice this word, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. He, he's talking about being filled with the Spirit. And he begins by saying, you must surrender the control of your body to the Holy Spirit, if you're going to be filled with the Spirit. But then he brings up this idea, that in order to be Spirit-filled, in order to be filled with the Spirit, you must sing Christ-honoring music. He said Christ-honoring music, he said godly music, is something that is required in order to be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Now, keep your place there in Ephesians, and go with me to the book of 2 Kings, if you would. In the Old Testament, you've got the one and two books. They're all clustered together. You've got 1 Samuel, 1 Kings, 1 Chronicles. Go to 2 Kings chapter number 3, and let me say this, because you know, you might look at that list and say, well, that, that seems kind of, you know, be filled with the Spirit by singing. Be filled with the Spirit by speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. But I want you to understand something, and uh, and, I, and I want to be clear about this. Music is spiritual. Music is a very spiritual thing, so it should not be odd to you that Paul says, "If you want to be filled with the Spirit, you need to have the right type of music," because of the fact that music is spiritual. Let me give you an example of that. Second Kings chapter three, and look at verse number fourteen. Second Kings chapter number three and verse number fourteen, the Bible says this, and Elisha said, as the Lord of hosts liveth before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, I would not look toward thee, nor see thee. So here we have a story where the prophet Elisha, the man of God Elisha, is being asked to prophesy on behalf of God. And he's looking at this wicked king and saying, Look, I'm not doing this because of you, Ahab. I'm doing it just, it's just because Jehoshaphat is with you. That's the only reason I'm going to do this. But I want you to notice verse 15. The Bible says this, but now bring me a minstrel. What's a minstrel? It's a musician. He says, bring me a, a minstrel, bring me a musician, and it, co- it, and it came to pass... When the minstrel played, that the hand of the Lord came upon him. I want you to notice that when the minstrel played music, the Spirit of the Lord, that's just an Old Testament way of saying, that's just a different way of saying, he got filled with the Spirit. The Spirit of God came upon him. The hand of the Lord came upon him. You say, why is that? Because of the fact that music is spiritual. Go to the book of Psalms, if you would. Psalm 22. Psalm 22 and you're there in 2 Kings. You can go past 1st, 2nd Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms. Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms. Psalm 22. And look at verse number 3. And look, I want you to understand this. Music is spiritual. All music is spiritual. There is no such thing as music that is amoral, that is without moral. All music is spiritual. Psalm 22, look at verse 3. Notice what the Bible says here in Psalm Psalm 22. It says, but thou art holy. And this is, of course, the psalmist speaking to God. The psalmist is looking at God, speaking to God and saying, but thou art holy. What does that mean? It means that God is separate from sin, separate, sanctified, separated. He says, but thou art holy. And then notice what he says. O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. You know what the Bible teaches here? That when the children of Israel, the people of God, would sing praises to God, that God would actually inhabit the praises of His people. That God would inhabit... The the music and the singing and the worship and the praising of his people. You say, why is that? It is because of the fact that music is spiritual. Music is a spiritual thing. So when Paul says, hey, be filled with the Spirit, you say, how do I do it, Paul? How do I get filled with the Spirit? He says, well, number one, you got to surrender. Be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. But he says, number two, got to sing godly music. Because music is spiritual. Go to the book of Colossians, if you would. Colossians chapter number three. You're there in the book of Ephesians. Uh, just go past Philippians into the book of Colossians. And, you know, just, just understand this. All music is spiritual, but not all music is godly. I mean, we, we're not going to take the time to do it. We've done it a lot in, you know, recent, recent months. So I'm not going to take the time to develop it. But we'll, and we could study Satan himself, and we could look at the fact that Satan is actually a musical being. Satan actually produces music from his body. And here's all I'm telling you. If God inhabits the praises of his people, who do you think inhabits the praises of the rock music of today? I mean, who do you think when people get up and they sing blasphemous things, they talk about death, and they talk about fornication, and drunkenness, and adultery, and everything that is not pleasing to God, right? Because who says, thou art holy, and that inhabits the praises of Israel. He's, he says, look, you're a holy God, and you inhabit our praises, so you want holy music. But who do you think inhabits the other music? Music is spiritual. This is why it is important what you allow to go into your ears, into your eyes, into your mind, into your heart. And here's all I'm telling you, and you know, I said this last night, and I'll say it to this group. This is something that I often don't think about. And I remember Brother Stuckey used to help me a lot with this. When Brother Stuckey was here and on staff, he would help me a lot with this. Because of the fact that Brother Stuckey got saved at a later age in life, you know, he went through the teen years, he went through the early you know, 20s or whatever, uh, being a worldly person and, and listening to worldly music. So when he got saved and he started, got plugged into in church and started, uh, you know, walking with God, this was a big deal for him to get rid of the worldly music, to get the worldly music out of his life. I, uh, you know, so I, he, he would always bring that stuff up in, in his sermons when he'd preach and I would always appreciate that. I need to do a better job at bringing it up because for some of you, it's a big deal. You grew up in the world. You grew up uh, with these things. But I'm here to tell you, you're never going to be filled with the Spirit of God. You're never going to experience the fullness of God. You'll never be filled with the Spirit while you are allowing the world's music to come into your mind and into your heart. And you might think, oh, well, it's no big deal. It's just while I'm driving down the road. I just turn the radio on. It's just me, none of the kids or anybody, you know. But look, it is hurting uh, you uh, because it's hurting your spirit. And you're never going to be filled with the Spirit of God. Uh, You're never going to experience the fullness of God. You're never going to experience the power of God while you are listening and allowing worldly music into your ears. So Paul says, Look, you want to be filled with the Spirit? You got to surrender your body. He says, You want to be filled with the Spirit? You got to sing. Christ honoring music. You have to have music that is pleasing to God. You say, why, Paul? Well, first of all, because music is spiritual. But there's another reason. Now, in Colossians chapter 3, we have what's actually a parallel passage to Ephesians chapter uh, 5, verses 18 and 19. And that's the passage we're in Ephesians 5, 18 and 19. And Colossians 3.16, they're parallel passages. I'll show you here in a minute how they're parallel are very similar. But I want you to notice what the Bible says here in Colossians 3 and verse 16. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Teaching, notice this word, teaching. What does that word mean? It means to instruct. It means uh, to give instruction. He says, teaching and admonishing. What does admonish mean? Admonish means to warn, to caution, to encourage. He says teaching and admonishing. Now, you would think that he's about to say in the preaching of God's word, right? In Sunday morning church, in Wednesday night Bible study, in Thursday night Bible study. You'd think that's what he's going to say. He says teaching and admonishing one another. And, but then he says this, in Psalms and hymns, and spiritual songs singing with grace in your heart to the lord and here's what he says he says look music is not only spiritual but music is influential music will influence you music will teach and admonish you and isn't it true that you could you could have heard a song you could have learned a song you could have liked a song years ago 10 years ago 20 years ago And walk into a store, and they're playing that song, and all the words would just come rushing back. I mean, you struggle to memorize the Romans road, but you got all, you know, ACDC memorized. Now you got all that, the, the, the music of the past memorized. You say, why is that? Well, it's because of the fact that music is not only spiritual, but music is influential. Music will influence you. Music will teach you. Music will admonish you. Music will influence you. And look, it shouldn't be that hard to figure that out. Just look at music. You say, well, what is music teaching? Look at the people that listen to certain music and you'll find out exactly what they're learning, what they're being taught, how they're being influenced. I mean, it doesn't matter which genre of music you look at. Isn't it interesting how you'll look at people who listen to a certain type of music and they all dress the same? They all look the same. They all act the same. I mean, listen to the, you know, dark, heavy metal, you know, Satan, rock and roll, ah, 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 music, right? And, and they're all, you know, black fingernails and black and makeup and, you know, gothic or whatever. Well, that's what they're learning. That, that, that's what they're being instructed in those things. And it doesn't matter which... You know, you, you go to the country, you know, the country, good old boy, you know, my dog died and my wife left me. And, you, and, and, and look at that crowd and they all got their big belt buckle and they got their cowboy boots and they got their hat, you know, and they're uh, Mr. Cowboy. And it's like, you're from San Francisco. Why are you dressed like that? You know, because that's the music they listen to. And it doesn't matter. Hip hop, you know, you're going to have your baggy pants down, you know, down and showing your uh, undergarments, and you're going to have your chains, and you're going to be. Get, look, they, why are they all the same? Because music is influential. And here's the truth. Here's the truth. If you you say, "Oh, that's silly," you know, and by the way, whatever you were into was silly too. You look at the other guy and say, "Oh, that's that's silly." How they all dress like that? They're looking at you saying, oh, silly how you dressed." Whatever music you're into. But here's what I know. Pick whatever music you you just think is the stupidest. Emo, you know, whatever. And if you listen to that music long enough, you'll start wanting to dress like that. You'll start thinking like that. You'll start, you know, look, if if we bring in contemporary Christian music into this church, eventually half of the men in this church will be in skinny pants. I promise you. Because it teaches and admonishes one another. Now, you know, would to God that I would never, you know, submit to that. But, you know, this is what I'm telling you. You say, you say, you look at whatever music people are into, and you're going to find that they're all being instructed. They're all being discipled. They're all being taught and admonished. And this is why God says, look, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. He said, you want to be filled with the Spirit of God? You better have Christ honoring music. You better have music. You better sing music that honors the Lord. You better sing these old hymns that are filled with doctrine and are filled with the scripture and are filled with the word of God. And look, this is what I was taught as a very young Christian. As goes the music, so goes the church. There is no such thing. There is no such thing as, oh, well, you know, this, this, what I'm about to explain to you, does not exist anywhere in this world. You will never find a church with a King James Bible, fire-breathing, hellfire and brimstone preaching, cry-aloud, spare not preacher, and th- but they're having contemporary Christian music before the service. It doesn't exist. It- it'll never exist. Wherever you have the shallow, weak, lame music, you know what you're going to have? Shallow, weak, lame preaching. And if you want... You know, you, you come to very Baptist Church there. say, man, I like the hard preaching, I like the biblical preaching, I like the fact that we just take passages and dissect them and really learn the Bible. I'm not really into these old hymns. Look, you can't take one or the, they, they, they come as a set. Because music teaches and admonishes. And if we get rid of the old hymns and bring in lame preaching, or lame music, shallow, uh, unscriptural, worldly, uh, contemporary Christian music, the preaching will get shallow and liberal and late, So you need to make sure, you need to make sure you're filled with the Spirit of God. And you say, well, I don't feel like I'm filled with the Spirit of God. You know what? Get you a hymn book and just start singing through the hymns. I Look, I promise you can't sit there and sing through the great hymns of faith. You can't sit there and, and, and just, you know, in your home or in your car, shut off that stinking radio and just start singing, How Great Thou Art. I mean, start, start singing the great hymns of, of God. I promise you, you're not going to be able to sit there and, and, and sing, it is well, and sing, and can it be, and sing, in my heart there rings a melody, and not have the Holy Spirit that's inside of you be encouraged. And begin to have the filling of the Spirit. Paul says this, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. You say, well, how do we do it, Paul? Well, he says, number one, you've got to surrender your body. Be not drunk with wine wearing his excess. You can't be under the control of anything other than the Holy Spirit. You must yield your body to the Holy Spirit. But then he says, number two, you've got to sing Christ-honoring music. You've got to have Christ-honoring music. You've got to sing music that is honoring to the Lord. You'll be filled with the Spirit. Say, why is that, Paul? Because music is spiritual. And because music is influential. Let me give you a third, a third thing you must do to be filled with the Spirit. Now, keep your place there in Colossians. We're going to come right back to it. Keep your finger right there. Go back to Ephesians 5. And let me show you, let me show you how these are two parallel passages. Because in Ephesians 5.18, the Bible says this, And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess. But I want you to notice this phrase, what we're preaching about tonight. But be filled with the Spirit. But be filled with the Spirit. He says, be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess. He said, but I want you on the inside to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he says this in verse 19, speaking to yourselves in Psalms. Why don't you remember this phrase? In Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing. In Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart, to the Lord. Go to Colossians chapter number 3. Colossians chapter number 3. Colossians 3 and verse 16. Notice what the Bible says. Let the word of Christ dwell in you. Richly. In all wisdom. Teaching and admonishing one another. Notice this phrase. Does it sound familiar? In Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing. Right? Right? In Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. These are parallel passages, because in Ephesians 5, he's saying, In Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing. In Colossians 3, he's saying, In Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing. Here's what's interesting. In both passages, he tells you to be filled with something. To have something inside of you. In Ephesians 5.18, he says, But be filled with the Spirit. In Colossians 3.16, he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you. So, in these parallel passages, he says, look, you got to be filled with the Spirit. The Spirit of God has to be in you, filling you. But then in Colossians 3, he says, the word of Christ needs to dwell in you. He's using these words synonymously. you say, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? It means to be filled with the word of God. It means to have Scripture in your heart memorized. You say, how do I get filled with the Spirit? I want to be filled with the Spirit of God, right? I want to be filled with the Spirit. How do I get filled with the Spirit? Well, number one, you've got to surrender your body. Number two, you've got to sing Christ honoring music. But number three, how do you get filled with the Spirit? you got to uh, have Scripture memorized. You have to have Scripture memorized, internalized, in your heart. Go back to the book of Ephesians. Go back to Ephesians. You're in Ephesians 5. Flip over to Ephesians chapter number 6. Ephesians chapter number 6, you say, why is that? Why do I have to have scripture in my heart? Why do I have to have scripture in my mind? Why do I have to have scripture in my mouth in order to be filled with the spirit of God? Well, notice what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6. Now, In Ephesians 6, we have the famous passage about the armor of God. And we're going to get to Ephesians 6 in several weeks. And we're going to go through and dissect the entire armor of God and look at that. But I want you to notice just one verse in this passage, Ephesians 6 and verse 17. The Bible says, and take the helmet of salvation. And then he says this, and the sword of the spirit. So here's the tool of the spirit. Here's the weapon of the spirit. Here's what, how, when we come to the armor of God, how does the spirit interact in this armor that we use in spiritual warfare. He says, the sword of the Spirit, notice, which is the Word of God. He says, look, the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. So if you want to be filled with the Spirit of God, you need to be filled with the Word of God. You need to internalize Scripture. You get Spirit-filled through Scripture memorization. Go to the book of John, John chapter number 6. John chapter 6, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And look, it it, it should make sense. I mean, think about it. You say, I internalize scripture. You know, how how does that help me uh, uh, to be filled with spirit? Well, you're supposed to surrender your body, right? So when you memorize verses, I mean, the Bible says, Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. So you hide God's word in your heart so that you can live a surrendered life to God. He says, look, thy word have I hid in mine heart. He said, I've hidden your word in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. He says, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The Word of God will guide you through life. He says, I want you to think about it. I want you to internalize it. I want you to memorize it. I want you to meditate on it. I want it to be on your mind and in your heart. He says, that's what's going to help you surrender your body to God. And the Bible says, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. So you internalize the Word of God. You memorize the Word of God. That helps you surrender your members to God. And you can even sing the word of God. Thy word have I hid in mine heart, that I might not sin against thee, that I might not sin, that I might not sin, that I might not sin against thee. You can put the word of God into music. We, we sing psalms, and we have different, uh, song, and aside from the hymns, you can actually just sing the law of the Lord is perfect. Converting the soul. You say, "Hi, I, you know, I thought getting spirit filled was like some emotional thing where I was going to jump up and get all crazy." And no, look, no, being spirit filled. You say, "How do I know if I how do I even know if I'm spirit filled?" Well, have you yielded your body unto God? Are you living in surrender to God? Are you allowing your life to be controlled by outside forces? Are you saying, "God, you're in control. I'm yielding to you. I'm giving myself to you." All to Jesus, I surrender. Are you singing praises to God? Do you come to church and sing? Or you sit there and say, I'm not really into singing. Well, you might not be into singing, but I'll tell you what, you'll never be filled with the Spirit of God. You don't sing. He says, sing to be filled with the Spirit. Then he says, you need Scripture to be filled with the Spirit. Are you there in John 6? Look at verse 63. John chapter 6 and verse 63, the Bible says this, It is the Spirit that quickeneth. It is the Spirit that gives life. It is the spirit that makes life. He says, it is the spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. Notice what he says. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. He says, look, my word, God says, my word is spirit. My words are spirit. So if you want to be filled with the spirit, you have to have the spirit of God. Go, go, go to the book of Ephesians, if you would, and then find the book of Philippians. Ephesians, and then right after Ephesians, you have the book of Philippians, uh, and find Philippians chapter 4. So go to Ephesians 5, and go to Philippians 4. While you turn there, I'll just read to you a couple more verses about the words of God being likened unto the Spirit of God, or as the sword of the Spirit of God. Proverbs one twenty three. you don't have to turn there. You go to Ephesians 5 and Philippians 4. Proverbs one twenty three. the Bible says this, Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my Spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. So notice, God says, I'm going to pour out my Spirit. And then He says, I'm going to make known my words. You say, how do I get the Spirit of God upon me? Hey, get the Word of God in you, and you'll be filled with the Spirit. Isaiah 59 and verse 21, the Bible says this, As for me, this is my covenant with them, saith the Lord, By my Spirit that is uh, upon thee, and notice, my words which I have put in thy mouth shall not depart out of thy mouth, nor out of the mouth of thy seed, nor out of the mouth of thy seed, seed, saith the Lord from henceforth and forever. He says, look, my Spirit that is upon thee, and my words which I have put. In thy mouth. You have to have the Spirit of God. Look, and as a Christian, you might say, Pastor, good night. Memorize scripture? Oh, I could never do that. Okay, well, how about this? Can you at least read the Bible? I mean, my prayer... My prayer for Verity Baptist Church, I was praying for the church family today. My wife and I were talking about how we're praying for all of you, praying for the church family, and, and, and we've got plans and lists and things that we try to pray through. You know, one of my prayers for every single person at Verity Baptist Church is that you would all develop the daily discipline of Bible reading. At the very least, you would take time in your day. I mean, what would it cost you? 10 minutes? 15 minutes? To open up the Word of God, the everlasting Word of God, and spend time with God? I mean, you say, I can't memorize Scripture. Okay, well, could you at least read Scripture? Could you at least read? The proverb of the day, could you read two, three chapters, four chapters? Could you ask God, open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law? Could you find something in that reading of yours and and ask God to give me something to meditate on? Give me something to think about? Give me something to apply? Hey, maybe you can't memorize. Okay, well, can you meditate? And here's the thing, you can memorize. Now, I'm not saying you need to sit there and memorize the book of Revelation. I'm not saying you need to memorize the book of Daniel. But, you know, how about memorizing John 3.16? How about starting with just the Romans road? That'd be a good start. I'm just telling you this. You're never going to be filled with the Spirit of God if you don't learn to internalize Scripture. If you don't allow Scripture to be in your heart and in your mind. And let the Word of God be a light unto your path. Thy Word, allow it to be a lamp. His Word, allow it to be a path. So how do you get filled with the Spirit? Well, you get filled with the Spirit through surrender of your body. You're filled with the Spirit through singing Christ, honoring music. You're filled uh, in the Spirit. You're filled, you, you get filled uh, in the Spirit through uh, Scripture memorization and Scripture internalization and internalizing and meditating upon the Word of God. Let me give you a fourth, fourth thought. How to get filled with Spirit. Notice verse 20, Ephesians 5 and verse 20. It says, giving thanks, giving thanks always for all things, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. How do I get filled with spirit? You get spirit filled through a satisfied attitude, through gratitude, through thanksgiving. Through being a thankful person. Go to Philippians chapter number four. Philippians chapter number four. Let me tell you something. You will never be filled with the Spirit of God while you are an unthankful, ungrateful person. You will never experience the filling of God. You will never experience the fullness of God. You will never experience the, 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 the filling of the Holy Ghost while you're unthankful. And it's interesting to me, That we have actually created a social media culture that prides itself on complaining. I mean, if you need an example, you said complain, you need an example of complaining, go on Facebook. You'll find all sorts of people complaining about everything complaining about this, complaining about that, complaining about. Look, the Bible says that we ought to give thanks always for all things, that we ought to be thankful. You say, well, I can't be thankful uh, for everything, but you can be thankful in everything. And you can always find something to be thankful for. Look, a Christian ought to be uh, uh, characterized by the, idea, uh, by, by, by the attitude of being satisfied. Philippians chapter 4, look at verse 4. Philippians chapter number 4 and verse number 4. The Bible says this, rejoice. And we learned about that on Sunday morning. Wilt thou not revive us again, O Lord, that thy people may rejoice? You'll know you're filled with the Spirit of God. You'll know you're revived with the Spirit of God when you are a Christian who is able to rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. I love this word, always. It's an old word. It's an older way of, of writing in our King James Bible. I like it though because people look at that word and say, "Always is that supposed to be like always, like all the way, or always, like always, all the time?" And yeah, you know, I think the answer to the question is both. It's always the entire way. Rejoice in the Lord always. All the time, the entire time. Rejoice in the Lord always. Then, I love Paul. You can tell he's a preacher. He repeats himself. He says, and again, I say, rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing. He says, don't be anxious about anything. Don't worry about anything. He says, be careful for nothing. People say, Pastor, what do you think about this coronavirus thing? How do you think? Look, I realize that we need to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. We need to keep our eyes open. We need to be watchful and we need to be looking. And I agree with all that. I believe in all that. But make sure you're not anxious over things. He says, be careful for nothing. He says, but in everything. In everything. You say, I can't be thankful for all things. But you can be thankful through all things and in all things. In everything, by prayer and supplication. Notice, don't miss it. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. how do you get filled with the Spirit of God? You get filled with the Spirit of God through rejoicing, through being thankful, through being content, through being satisfied. Notice what the Apostle Paul skipped down uh, to verse number 11. Notice what he says. Not that I speak in respect of want... There's nothing that I want. There's nothing that I'm complaining that I, that I want. Power would say, hey, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He says, not that I speak in respect of want. For I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. You say, even the state of California, Pastor? Yeah, even the state of California, you can be content. Even with Governor, New- even with Governor Newsom, you can be content. Not that I speak in respect of one, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere, everywhere and in all things, always, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. You say, how could you do that, Paul? Well, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me, Paul would say. Listen to me, you will never be filled with the Spirit while you are a complainer, while you are a criticizer, while you are a murmurer, you'll never be filled with the Spirit. I've learned in ministry over the last 10 years of ministry, you know, you can't make everyone happy. Obviously, you're never going to make everyone happy, but what I've learned is this, there's some people, you're you're just some people, you're never going to make them happy. It doesn't matter what you do doesn't matter what decision you make. It's always the wrong decision. I mean, some people, I don't know why, but they just have in their head, pastor's always wrong, pastor's wife's always wrong, staff's always wrong. Doesn't matter what they do, it's wrong. You know, we can't come to church, but we're doing live stream only. That's wrong. We're, okay, we're going to do five services, try to get you guys in here. That's wrong too. It's like everything's wrong. We're like, hey, we're going to have services 10 a.m., 1 p.m., 4 p.m. Oh, I would have done 11, 2, and 5. It's like, good night. I mean, we can't win with you. It doesn't matter. But you know what I know about those people? It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what, what decision you make. It's always wrong. They're always right. You're always wrong. But let me tell you something. Those people will never be filled with the Spirit of God. You cannot be filled with spirit while you are dissatisfied. You cannot be filled with spirit while you are not grateful and satisfied. And Let me tell you something. You can always find something to be satisfied for. I mean, just just this last week. Some, you know, I don't know if you know it. We sent an email out about it. Maybe, maybe you might have seen it. But you know, this last week, our internet went down here at the church building. And it went down, down, like there was a blackout and there was something that was actually damaged out in the road. And it was like pulling teeth to get Comcast to come out here and fix it. And they actually sent a crew out and and get it all, you know, fixed or whatever. And we didn't have internet. We were planning on live streaming on Thursday night last week and Sunday services last week. We were unable to live stream because we didn't have internet. We were able to put some sermons up and, and premiere them because uh, the staff guys did it from their houses, but, but we weren't able to do anything uh, from here. Actually, we're live streaming tonight. It's the first time we've live streamed in, in a week because the internet was down. And, and I can tell you, look, I was mad. I mean, I don't know if I was filled with the Spirit. I was filled with something, but I was angry. And I was really angry because of the fact that we not only pay for business internet, we pay for this like special internet because we live stream and I'm not an expert on it. You can ask, uh, uh, brother Joe here. You can ask brother Oliver. They can tell you all about it. But you know, you've got download speeds and upload speeds and all these different things. And we pay for this, you know, special thing to be able to upload and live stream. Like the only thing we care about is to be able to live stream service and we can't live stream. And I was angry about it and I was mad about it. And I was just fuming about the fact that we couldn't live stream and I was mad and I was upset. And then I started studying for this thinking sermon. And God tells me I'm supposed to be satisfied and thankful always in all things everywhere in everything. I started thinking, well, you know, I am thankful for something. I mean, I'm thankful for the fact that our internet went down the week we got the church family back in church. I mean, if, it if this would have happened to us two weeks ago when we were live stream only, that would have that ruined us. Not ruined us, but it, it would have brought everything to screeching halt. And you know what I learned? I learned this. You can always be thankful for something. You can always have something to be content in. Notice there, again, Philippians 4. Being content is something you can learn. Ephesians 4, and verse 11, Not that I speak in respect of what? For I have learned. For I have learned. In whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. You know, that you, you say, I'm just, I'm just that type of person. I'm just a negative person. Look, I get it. I, I'm a negative person. All right? I, you, you know, I can, I can be negative. But you know, the Bible says that you can learn to be content. I remember when I, one of the biggest lessons I got on contentment. I told a story last night. Remember, one, one of the biggest lessons I got on contentment was when I went to a boot camp, when I joined the Air Force. I remember I went to boot camp, and they put us on a plane. They flew us out to San Antonio, Texas, and they put us on a bus and drove us into Lackland Air Force Base. And I, I got there at like, I don't know, three in the morning or whatever. And when we got there, they took us into this processing office. And it was, I don't know, like 50 of us or maybe 60 of us. They brought us in there, and they had us all sit down on the floor. And they handed us these boxes. They said, here, here's your dinner. And, you know, you open up the box, and you're like, I'm not even sure what this is. like, I'm supposed to eat this, you know? And it was just kind of like, I'm not eating this, you know? And I remember there was a little bag of cookies. And I thought, well, maybe I'll eat the cookies. And I opened up the cookies, and I ate one. I was like, ah, this is disgusting. And I'm like, I'm not even hungry, whatever. I just threw it aside, you know? Day one, right? Here's what's interesting. After eight weeks of boot camp, after eight weeks of just being starved and tortured and you know, just having these people have their way with you. At the end, that last week of boot camp, they they took us in to get fitted for our blues for graduation. They brought us into the exact same processing room. And they handed us the exact same boxes. Here, here's your dinner. You know I ate everything in that box? I mean, I I was like, I was like licking the wrapper. I I mean, and I learned the lesson on contentment. That contentment is really a relative thing. You can learn to be content in whatever state you are. And sometimes things around you change. You can be hungry and be real, you know, content. But, you know, we should be content for everything. I mean, think about tonight. I'm happy tonight that we have 50 or 60 of you here, spread out in this 300-seat auditorium. I'm very happy. But, you know, if this, if this was the midweek service two months ago, we'd be like, what happened? You know, if this many people showed up to a midweek service two months ago, we'd be like, did the church have a split? Good night. You know? But tonight we're happy. Why? Because, look, contentment is a relative thing. It's not, but, but it's relative in the fact that we allow it to be relative based on our circumstances. But a mature Christian, a spirit-filled Christian would say, you know what, I'm just going to learn to be content no matter what, in whatever situation. I'll be spirit-filled and satisfied and grateful for whatever is happening in our lives. Go back to Ephesians 5. So we're talking about how to be filled with the Spirit. And look, I'm just telling you, you'll never be filled with the Spirit while you are a murmur and a complainer. A criticizer. A critical person. Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. And then we would ask, well, Paul, well, how do we do that? How do I get filled with the Spirit? He says, number one, you got to surrender your body. Number two, you got to sing Christ-honoring music. Number three, you got to, uh, uh, you get filled with the Spirit through scripture memorization. Number four, you get filled with the Spirit uh, through a satisfied attitude. A, a, a grateful disposition. Let me give you a fifth one tonight. We'll finish up. How do you get filled with spirit? Spirit filled. You're filled in the spirit through submission to biblical authority. Notice Ephesians 5 verse 21. He says, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Now he's about to begin in verse 22, a section on the Christian home. But he ends this section on being spirit-filled by saying, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Do you know that God has given you and I biblical authority in our lives? He's given us biblical authority. And God expects us to submit ourselves to our biblical authority. And let me tell you something, you will never be filled with the spirit when you are rebelling against the biblical authority in your life. Paul says, you need to be filled with spirit. You want to do it? You got to surrender your body. You you, you got to uh, sing Christ's honorary music. You got to have scripture internalized and memorized. You got to have a satisfied uh, attitude of of gratitude. But he says, you know what? You You have to submit to biblical authority. And in different areas in life, you are to submit to the biblical authority that God has put there. You say, well, what are they? Well, how about in the home? God has an authority structure in the home. I mean, look at verse 22. We're going to delve into verse 22 and the rest of the chapter next week, but just look at what it says real quickly, Ephesians 5, 22. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Listen, wife, you will never be filled with the Spirit of God. You will never experience the power of God. You will never experience the fullness of God while you are in rebellion to your husband. That is the biblical authority that God has given you. And you would say, well, if you knew my husband, he's such an idiot, and he's so worldly, and he's so this, and he's so that. Look, it doesn't matter. That is the head of your home. And by the way, you married him. Nobody forced you to. You, You are to submit to him. You are to submit to that authority. Notice Ephesians 6 and verse 1. Just flip over to chapter 6, verse 1. Notice what he says. Children, obey your parents and the Lord. For this is right. Listen, teens, you'll never be filled with the Spirit of God while you are in rebellion to your parents. You must submit to your biblical authority. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Go to the book of Titus, Titus chapter number 3. If you're there in Ephesians, you got Philippians, Colossians, 1st, 2nd, Thessalonians, 1st, 2nd, Timothy, Titus. While you turn there, I'll read to you from Hebrews 13. Let me say this. You say, uh, we got to submit to biblical authority. Okay, let me give you some examples. In the home, God has put some biblical authority in the home. You ought to submit. You say, what if I don't submit? Well, God's going to chastise you and correct you. But, but here's something else. You'll never be filled with despair. You will never experience the fullness and the power of God while you are in rebellion to your biblical authority. You're going to Titus, but let me read to you from Hebrews thirteen seven. Here's another one. How about in the church? The Bible says, Hebrews 13, 7, Remember them which have the rule over you. Remember them which have the rule over you. This is in the context of church. You say, who has the rule over you in the church? It says, remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow. Okay, so who's speaking to you the word of God? It's the pastor. "Ah, Of course you would bring that up. Look... Whether it's me as your pastor, or you leave here and go to some other church, let me tell you something, you will never experience the power of God on your life while you are in rebellion to your pastor. It says, remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith uh, uh, follow, uh, 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 considering the end of their conversation. Hebrews thirteen seventeen, he says this, obey them that have the rule over you. Obey them that have the rule over you. And submit yourselves. For they watch for your soul, as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy, and not with grief. For that is unprofitable for you. Here God says, look, you've, got, you've been given oversight. You've been given an overseer, a bishop, and you need to submit to your authority. You say, in the home, in, the, in every institution that God has created, in the home, you got to submit to your biblical authority. In the church, you've got to submit to your biblical authority. And you're never going to be filled with spirit. Look, if you're one of those church members where the pastor's always wrong and everything's always wrong and I always got the right idea, here's what we know about you. You're carnal. You'll never be filled with spirit. It's the truth. You need to submit to biblical authority where God has commanded us. Now, of course, in church, the Bible says that we as as bishops should not lord over God's heritage. So the, the extent of our influence goes to church. You know, as a pastor, I'm never going to, and in any sort of relationship with a pastor, you should never have a pastor who's coming into your personal life and telling you, you know, here's what you need to do in your personal life. Look, what you do in your personal life—that's between you and God. But when we enter church world, the Bible says the pastor has the rule. That means he controls. That means he directs. That means what he says goes. And you need to submit, you need to learn to submit to the authority of the pastor. How about this? Government. Titus 3.1. This is not a popular one in our movement. Titus 3.1. Put them in mind to be subject to principalities. What's a principality? A political leader. And powers to obey magistrates. What's a magistrate? That's a civil officer. To be ready to every good work. You know the Bible teaches that we're supposed to submit to the government? Now look, and I'm already getting the emails and whatever. Obviously, biblical authority goes to an extent. When you're being asked to sin against God, then we obey God rather than men. Do you understand that? And that's any authority. Look, at work, At work, we didn't look at it in in Ephesians 6, but at work, your boss, you're supposed to serve him as unto the Lord. And at work, you ought to submit to the authority of your boss. But if your boss asks you to do something illegal, then you don't obey. You obey God rather than men. Look, kids, you obey and you submit to the authority of your parents. But if your dad asks you to help him run heroin, okay, then you say, no, no, dad, I love you, but no, I'm going to obey God rather than men. Do you understand that? Look, wives submit unto your husband, but if your husband asks you to do something that is sinful, that against is uh, against the laws of God, then you don't submit. And when it comes to government, look, sometimes we get this idea because we're conservative Christians and we act like the government's always wrong, you know. And, and really, it's just a defiance of authority. The pastor's always wrong, the boss is always wrong, the government's always wrong. The boss is an idiot, pastor's an idiot, everyone's an idiot. My parents are an idiot. I'm 13 years old. I'm the smartest one here. It's like, come on. My husband's an idiot. It's just in every area of authority, you're rebelling. And here's what I'm telling you. You'll never be filled with the Spirit of God. You must submit to your biblical authority if you want to be filled with the Spirit of God. Now, if they ask you to sin, if they ask you to sin, then we obey God rather than men. Do you understand what I just said? If they ask you to sin, you obey God rather than men. But if they don't ask you to sin, you know what a Spirit-filled Christian does? They submit. And let me let you in on a secret of submission. Submission only works. Submission is only real. Submission is only apparent. When you submit to something, you don't want to do. You understand that? Why well, i say, well, I submit to my husband as long as I agree with it. Well, that's not submission. That's agreement. Well, I, I do what my boss wants tells me to do as long as I think it's the right idea. But, you know, he's an idiot. And when he leaves, I do what I want. Well, you're, you're not submissive. The only time we know, the only time we know that someone is submissive to their biblical authority is when there's a, a conflict where you think something should be done different than, than the biblical authority. As long as it's not a sin and you submit, that's how we know. you understand what I just said? That's the only way we know. So Why? The only way we'll ever know that you're a submissive wife is when your husband asks you to do something you don't want to do, and it's not a sin, and you submit to his authority. The only time we know children are submissive is when mom and dad tell them to do something they don't want to do, and it's not a sin, and you submit to their authority. Last time I checked, I'm not trying to hurt your feelings, but last time I checked, putting a mask on wasn't sinful. And I'm not for masks, so I don't go to stories, you know, but <laughs> I'm just telling you, you know, people I'll never wear a mask. Look, it just shows a little bit about your attitude. It shows a little bit about your spirit-filled heart. Because you'll never be filled with the spirit. If you don't submit, and the only times that we can tell that you are submitting is when it's something you don't want to do, but it's not a sin. And you submit. And here's all I'm telling you, you say, oh, well, good night. By this standard, I'll never be filled with the Spirit. Well, here's, here's the thing about that. Most Christians never are filled with the Spirit. It's very rare. It's very rare to be a Christian who's walking in the Spirit, who's filled with the Spirit, who has the power of the Spirit, of God. It's very rare. You say, why? Because to be so filled with the Spirit, you've got to surrender your body. Because... To be filled with the Spirit, you've got to sing Christ-honoring music. You've got to fill your mind and your heart with Christ-honoring music. Because to be filled with the Spirit, you've got to internalize Scripture. Because to be filled with the Spirit, you've got to rejoice in the Lord always. You've got to be satisfied and grateful and content at all times. Because to be filled with the Spirit, you have to submit to biblical authority when they're not asking you to sin. And look, that's just a tall order. So most Christians, unfortunately, most Christians disobey the command to be filled with the spirit of God. But I hope, I hope that tonight you and I would choose and say, I want to be filled with the spirit. If it means I got to submit to my boss and yeah, he's an idiot, but whatever, he's the boss. If, if, if it means uh, that i got to go home and get rid of some music, delete some MP3s on my iPod or whatever, and I've got to go get, grab a hymn book and, and start singing praises to God, if it means that I need to start being thankful and not critical and not bitter and not uh, a complainer and, and start trying to look for things to be thankful for in my life, if it means that I've got to surrender my body, if it means that tomorrow morning I've got to get up and say, okay, God, you're in control. I yield myself. Would to God that you and I would choose to be filled with the Spirit of God. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this passage. Thank you for allowing us to be able to study this passage in the Bible. And Lord, I I pray that you would help us. Lord, I, I do pray, I do pray that you would help us to be a church that is filled with the Spirit of God. And to not be, Lord, it's so easy to just go into that area of life where we're just complaining all the time about everything, upset about everything. I pray that would not be Verity Baptist Church. Help us to rejoice in the Lord. Help us to go about our day singing praises to you. Help us, Lord, to be filled with the Spirit of God. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen.